0: Hello, my name is David Lessner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at creekwoodumc.com or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God.
1: So I'll give you a peek behind the curtain. Anytime you're writing a sermon, you try to come up with a catchy opener so that way people don't decide they're going to tune out and fall asleep today. However, when I came up with this catchy opener... It was a pretend time, but I'm here to confess to you, it happened to me on the way here this morning. So let's pretend you're driving down the road and you're perhaps running just a little bit late for work, not so late that you'll be in trouble, but late enough that if you hit enough red lights, you'll be walking in an embarrassing time before you preach a sermon. Just Pretend or it's a work meeting, or it's your kid's soccer game, or it's a really important presentation, and you're driving down Stacy Road, and are you driving the speed limit? No, nobody's driving the speed limit on Stacy Road, not even if they're not in a hurry. Hardy, you don't, your mom drives the speed limit? Wow, excellent job, Helen Fenley. Yeah, no, fact checked by mom. Um, you're not driving the speed limit, it's Stacy Road. You're in a hurry, you're stressed, you're trying to get somewhere for whatever and you see somebody with a blown-out tire pulling over on the side of the road. But you're in a hurry, so what do you do? Keep going and hope that somebody else is going to stop, right? And then you look in your rearview mirror and you see everybody else passing by this car. But let's visualize another situation. You're running late for something, and you're driving down Stacy Road, and your tire blows out. Now, a lot of us have someone close by that we could call, and that's nice, but let's pretend that you can't. What are you thinking as every single car drives past you? Oh, I hope they'll stop. Today's story is not about flat tires and traffic jams, but it's a story from the Gospel of Luke that challenges us to be compassionate in times that are unexpected and maybe even inconvenient. So our passage for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, and just as we do every time that we open up our Bibles, whether in pre-K Sunday school, all the way up to my seniors, we have a few questions. So the Gospel of Luke is in the Old Testament or the New, New. Good. And what type of book is Luke? A gospel. Good. Gospels have stories about what? Jesus and his life. And then everybody's favorite bonus question for third through fifth grade Sunday school, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Exactly. The gospel is good news. The Gospel of Luke is actually special among the Gospels because it communicates the good news in a different way than the other three. Luke was believed to have been written for a Gentile or non-Jewish audience, which means that the Gospel of Luke takes the time to have footnotes and small explanations for non-Jewish readers as to what was happening. And today's passage comes from chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And chapter 5 opens up with the story of the calling of the fishermen, which we talked about last week. And it's about them, um, they're, they're fishing and Jesus calls them to go out to the deeper waters and they cast their nets and they almost break and they catch all these fish and then they follow Jesus. But this story is a little bit different. It's a story of the calling of Levi, who ended up becoming Matthew, but we'll say Levi for our sake today. Um, And it's a story about how he was called to follow Jesus. So this is the passage. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. So there are a few interesting points in this passage that I want to make sure um, we we talk about, we point out today. So the first is the first two words. After this. If you are looking at an old-fashioned Bible or your Bible app, there are usually subtitles or headings over each kind of section of Scripture to let us know what story is going to be there. And so between the story of the calling of the fisherman and this calling of Levi, we have two stories. We have the calling of the fisherman, then we have Jesus cleanses a leper, Jesus heals a paralytic, and then Jesus calls Levi. One of the things that I think um, I misunderstood about the Bible for a while, and I wonder if somebody else does too, is I think sometimes we think, okay, Jesus called people, Then he was done with that, then he healed people. Then when he was done with that, he got into fights with some Pharisees. Then when he was done with that, Holy Week. When in reality, all of these things were happening kind of all at once. In high school, Sunday school today, we were reminded that Jesus' ministry was only three years, which David and I have been in ministry longer than Jesus. I'm just saying. He only had three years. Um, But... Jesus is not calling people and then healing people and then teaching them. He is calling and healing and teaching all at the same time. So Jesus goes to Levi, who we learn is a tax collector. And he's sitting in a tax collection station. So this tells us that he's not a regular tax collector. He's more like someone, do y'all remember toll booths before toll tags? Yeah, and you'd have to have like a couple of coins to toss in the bucket, or even before that there'd be a person there collecting money for you to drive on the road. This is sort of what Levi was. He was probably collecting taxes on imports or exports, or it's possible that he was prohibiting access to a way of traveling from one place to another unless somebody paid him some money. So Jesus walks by the booth and says only two words to Levi. And it's not what we thought at children's time, which was stop that. It was follow me. And it says that Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. This is one of those times where um, the, the Bible's leaving out of details, I think is kind of unfortunate because we don't get any details of the conversation, which maybe there wasn't anything else said. But we don't know what Levi was thinking. I don't know if Levi followed everybody that walked by the tax booth and said, follow me. But I have to guess it was a little unusual. But there was something about Jesus that he knew was important or special or at least significant enough to follow. The next sentence is where things start to differ from the fisherman's story. The fishermen leave everything and follow Jesus, and that's kind of what we hear of that. But Levi does the same thing, except in the next sentence he says, and then that night he had a dinner party. Sometimes we think that the disciples left behind all of their worldly possessions to follow Jesus, but Levi is a great example of someone who took what he had to help serve others as well. It tells us that Levi brings other tax collectors over to the party with Jesus. And then the sentence, and it's phrased really weird, but it says tax collectors and others. Um, Which we have no idea what that guest list looked like. If there was a bouncer, who was in, who was out, we don't know. But the next sentence tells us that there were Pharisees there at the table who asked the disciples a question. So there are lots of... Of episodes of Jesus and the Pharisees, especially in the Gospel of Luke. So Pharisees were this group of Jewish people. They were kind of a social movement within the church, and they were very influential. They were known for having a really large emphasis on their personal piety, the way in which they behaved because of their beliefs. The word Pharisee itself comes from the Hebrew word that means separated. So these guys believed that they were not just different from other Jewish people, but their differences made them special, made them more important, made them more loved by God. If there's a ladder of who's closest to God, the Pharisees think they're at the top because they do the most good stuff, and everyone else is not doing As good as of stuff. They believe that their ability to keep up with all of God's commandments in what we call the Old Testament made them more loved by God, more revered, higher up, more important, special. And their conflict with Jesus in the Gospels usually centers around any time Jesus sort of throws a wrench in that worldview. Jesus throws out the idea that it is following laws that will save us. But instead, Jesus offers radical acceptance and love to others, especially those considered sinners. You see, the Pharisees believed that God was going to show up and there would be a group of all the people who had done the right things, kept all the commandments, done, done all of the right things, and God was going to tell them, great job, gold star, participation trophy— And then there were these people who didn't keep all of the commandments, who didn't have as much personal piety, who maybe not even were Jewish, and God was going to come and say, shame on you, you did bad. And that's not what Jesus did. He took their entire worldview, their entire view of the social order, and flipped it upside down. And yet, the Pharisees are invited to Levi's dinner party. We don't know how invitations were sent out, who was on the guest list, if Jesus was in charge of helping invite people. But we know that Pharisees and tax collectors were under the same roof. Political types that were a little bit corrupt. Religious types that were a little bit arrogant. All sitting at the same table. And if you're thinking, gosh, I bet that was hard back then, try doing it now. So the Pharisees, even though they're invited to dinner, are complaining. And, and I think this is really funny. They complain to the disciples, and they ask them, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I think it's really funny, because who are the Pharisees eating and drinking? They're doing the thing that they're complaining about, right? And they don't know. They weren't in charge of the guest list. But uh, they are having dinner with tax collectors and sinners, complaining to the disciples about why they're having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. And if I were having dinner with the disciples, I would have lots of questions. That wouldn't have been one of them. I would have asked, like, hey, Levi, what in the world about this guy made you follow him earlier today? Or I would say to the fishermen what in the world? Tell me, tell me about the nets. Tell me about casting them. Tell me about them almost breaking. But instead, they complain about the other guests at the dinner party. And this is one of those moments where Jesus kind of makes me laugh, because the disciples are asked the question, but Jesus chimes in. Have you ever been like sitting around, maybe as a kid, and you were having a conversation, then your mom chimed in, you were like, oh, that's the answer. This is what happened. Jesus chimes in and says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Then he explains himself and says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus says, I'm not here for the good guys. I'm not here for the ones who've done everything right. I'm here to call these guys to a reordered life to join the good guys-ish. I'm not here for the ones who've done everything right. I'm here for the ones that you think were going to get a scolding from me. Jesus takes those who are labeled by the Pharisees to be sinners, has them over for dinner, and hosts the whole thing at a tax collector's house. Our third core value here at Creekwood is compassion. We believe that un- being invited and understanding God's deep, deep love for us moves us to want to explore. Explore the Bible, explore ourselves, explore with God, and explore with each other. But learning more about God is not just a cerebral exercise that ends with knowledge or education. But learning about God transforms our hearts. It shapes us. We believe that learning more about God cannot help but fill us with compassion, even to a point that it would overflow out of each one of us. Compassion is often thought of as a weakness, as pity, a way of driving by the suffering of others and saying, oh, That's so terrible. But the real definition of the word compassion, the word itself literally means to suffer together. People who research emotions in the brain that are far smarter than I am, thank goodness, have learned that when the feeling, there's a feeling that arises in our brains when we are confronted with another person's suffering but there's something that takes place in the brain, it actually creates a motivation to help alleviate that suffering. That is compassion. Compassion is a feeling that cannot help lead itself to action. It's not just a way of seeing the problems or being critical of things and seeing, or feeling bad for people who are suffering and seeing what they go through, but instead it is taking that feeling and being driven to work to solve those problems. When compassion overflows in us, it changes the way that we live our lives. Now, compassion's a really vulnerable thing. It might shape us into doing things that don't exactly align with the social order. Just a simple act of following Jesus for one day transformed Levi. He went from a corrupt tax collector sitting in a toll booth to hosting a dinner party for a really interesting group of people. Compassion is vulnerable. It might take something out of us. It might require something more of us. It might drive us to do things that others simply won't do. Compassion might put in us a heart to welcome strangers. Compassion might give us the motivation to donate our money to those who have less than we do. It might push us to volunteer and to do things for people who may never get the chance or even want to thank us. We might offer random acts of kindness, even anonymously. We might offer support to others in times of need. Compassion might shape us so much that we develop and desire for justice and equality, wanting to see the world that truly creates a seat for everyone at the table. Compassion might drive us to offer forgiveness and reconciliation to others, even those who are never going to say that they are sorry, and the world says, it's okay to not forgive them. Compassion might drive us to invest in the next generation, realizing that our lives are not simply our own, but for those that come after us and the world we are giving to them. Compassion might cause us to be consistently generous in random and inconvenient times. But it's compassion that drives us to look more and more like Jesus, which as Christian people is not simply our hope, but it is our calling. The vulnerability of compassion can feel scary, but it's not something to fear. Instead, it is something that we should find ways to embrace. So this week, I hope that you might take some time to reflect on the transformative power of compassion. Not only the ripple effect it's going to have in your life if you offer more of it, but what it could do in the lives of others the lives that you could touch without ever even seeing if compassion were to overflow in you. This is why it is our third core value here at Creekwood. Compassion. More than just a mere feeling of pity, or looking at the sufferings of others, but instead an invitation to suffer together. Compassion moves us beyond acknowledging the suffering of others and propels us into action just as Levi's life was radically changed by one day, two words of following Jesus. Imagine what we get with more than just a day. The compassion that we have could lead to unexpected outcomes. It may challenge social norms and break down barriers and foster connections amongst diverse groups of people. So as you go from this place today, and drive the speed limit on Stacy Road, make room for compassion to fill you so much that it overflows. Take the time this week to look around, not just to see the sufferings of others, but to let your heart be moved by it. Let our actions be driven by a genuine desire to alleviate. The suffering of others. And in doing so, we continue the legacy of Jesus, which goes far beyond the three years he had of ministry. But Jesus, who dined with tax collectors and sinners, extending love and grace to those who the world deemed least deserving. May our understanding of God's deep love propel us to accept an invitation. Explore and live out compassion in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all of the ways in which you continue to reveal yourself to us, the ways in which we understand your presence and experience your love. And God, As we continue to move and to experience your presence, may we be filled with your compassion for us. God, that you walked by a tax collector and said, I choose him. Let us feel, let us understand, and let us know that you choose us. But let us not be satisfied with that message alone on the inside of our hearts with a door closed, but instead drive us to action. Help us not only to see, but to want to work to alleviate the suffering of others so that this world might look a little bit more and more like your kingdom. It's in your name we pray and we ask these things, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.